Hello and welcome to the Renewable Energy Podcast, where those with an interest in renewable energy, new and experienced, join together for news and knowledge about all things renewable. With me, Lynette Purvis, as your host, stay tuned for further episodes and head over to our website at www.renewableenergypodcast.com for the show notes. And why not leave your comments and suggestions in an iTunes review? If you're kind enough to give us five stars, we'll read out your review in future episodes. Now though, let's get started. Hello and welcome to the second Renewable Energy Podcast. I'm your host, Lynette Purvis, and I am a renewable energy lawyer based in Edinburgh in Scotland. And I am lucky enough to be joined again today by Roger. Hello, Roger. Thanks, Lynette. Um, Hi, everyone. I'm Roger Hamilton. I don't work in the renewable industry. I do have an interest in it. And, you know, I would love to be in a position in the future where my house generated more electricity than I used, my car was electric and got charged from my house. That's that's my interest in this podcast. So what have we got coming up today? Well, we've got some interesting recent renewable news articles, and then we've got our topic of the episode, which is pumped storage hydro schemes. And in particular, exploring what we mean by energy demand and what role pump storage hydro schemes have in meeting that demand. So first and foremost, it's time for our Renewable Energy News section. Today's articles come from Scottish Renewables and the BBC News website, so thank you very much to them for these. Our first piece is the announcement of the launch of a new association here in the UK called Young Professionals in Renewables, or more affectionately known as WIPER. WIPER is an exciting new network which brings together young professionals working in the UK renewable energy sector. Its free networking events aim to encourage personal and career development. WIPER encourages participation from a wide range of professionals working in the renewable energy sector, such as project developers, sponsors, financial analysts, academics, accountants, commercial and investment bankers, consultants, lawyers like myself and other individuals having a professional focus on the renewable energy sector. I was lucky enough to secure a place at their first ever event, their official launch at the Gilly Doo Bar in Edinburgh. The association is already proving to be a huge success with over 500 new signups to their mailing list and with the places for their first event booking up in record time. Our second piece of news comes from the BBC News website and is the announcement that EU leaders agree CO2 emissions cut target. EU leaders have reached a landmark deal to cut greenhouse gas emissions by 40% by 2030, compared with 1990 levels. The EU Commissioner for Climate Action said she was very proud that the leaders were able to get their act together in this pressing climate challenge. Previously, only five countries in Europe had climate targets post-2020, now 28 countries do. And last but not least, at the end of this month, it is the annual Scottish Green Energy Awards at the Edinburgh International Conference Centre, with awards such as Champion of Renewables Award, Best Community Project Award and Best Innovation Award up for grabs. It's bound to be a great opportunity to celebrate the many achievements of all things renewable here in Scotland. 
It is also the first year that there has been a Renewable Energy Photography Award. There are some stunning photographs in the running, from an up-close view of the waves crashing over the testing of a wave energy project in the Sound of Hoi, to a very tall photo indeed showing a tiny cyclist being dwarfed by the incredible height of a huge wind turbine at Cathkin Braes near Glasgow. The photos are definitely worth checking out and we will link to the relevant BBC News webpage in the show notes. And that's the end of our news roundup. So moving on to our main topic of the episode, pumped storage hydro schemes. So same format as last week. I'll ask the questions, you answer them. Works for me. So Lynette, how does pumped storage hydro work? Well, as you know, today's focus is on pumped storage hydro schemes. However, before we dive into that topic, it may be useful to give an overview of how hydropower works generally. At its most simple, hydroelectric power can be described as the process of converting running water into electrical energy. Water flows through a turbine which turns a generator which produces electricity. All hydro schemes share this basic setup. However, hydro schemes can be further divided into three categories storage, run of river, and pumped storage. So looking at storage schemes first, they are generally larger scale and use a dam to create a reservoir of water. The water in this reservoir is made to flow through turbines, turning the generators and thus producing electricity. The water in the reservoir acts as an energy store and can be used when required. The store of water in the reservoir is replenished with water flow from upstream rivers and from rainwater. Run of river schemes, on the other hand, have no significant storage element and most use the natural flow of the river to turn the generators, albeit some schemes use a small dam or weir to allow for short-term regulation of water flow. Pumped storage schemes are most similar to storage schemes, but unlike storage schemes, they aren't really a means of generating electricity, but rather a way of storing it for when we need it, similar to a large battery. These schemes use electricity from other sources to pump water uphill from one reservoir situated at the bottom to another which is located at height. Thereafter, a pump storage scheme acts like any other large hydro scheme. The water is released downwards, directed through turbines, turning the generators and generating electricity. Now, pumped storage systems have a relatively low energy density and they therefore require either a very large reservoir of water or a large variation in height between the reservoirs at the top and the bottom. So let's bring that to life a little. If we had a thousand kilograms of water, which is about a thousand litres, so we can think of that as 500 two litre bottles, and we took that to the top of a 100 meter tower, they would have the potential energy of less than 0.3 kilowatt hours, meaning that they would be capable of raising the temperature of that same amount of water by less than 0.3 degrees Celsius, or just over 0.4 Fahrenheit. The only way to store a significant amount of energy is by having a very large body of water located on a hill relatively near, but as high as possible above, the second body of water. In some places, this set of circumstances occurs naturally, 
and in others, one or both of the bodies of water have been man-made. Next question. How much hydropower is already in Scotland? Taking hydropower as a whole, so including storage, run of river and pump storage, Scotland is home to 1.5 gigawatts of capacity, which is enough to power the equivalent of more than 900,000 homes. The electrical output from hydro schemes in Scotland in 2012 was more than 4.8 gigawatt hours, which is equivalent to over 12.5% of Scotland's electricity consumption. So Roger, what's next? Yeah, you said earlier that pumped storage schemes aren't really a means of generating electricity. What, what, what does that mean? This is because pumped storage hydroelectric schemes are, overall, actually net consumers of energy, meaning that they use more electricity than they ultimately generate. So where's the advantage in that? Well, to fully understand the answer to that question, we first need a basic understanding of the concept of energy demand. So at different times during the year, the amount of energy required, or the energy demand, fluctuates depending on circumstances such as the time of day, the weather conditions, and the business hours of larger commercial and industrial businesses. When demand for electricity is at its highest, that's called peak demand. Peak demand can be split into daily peak demand and network peak demand. Daily peak demand is usually between around 5pm and 8pm, as this is where thousands of us do exactly the same sorts of things. We come home, we turn on the lights, turn on the TV, make dinner, use the computer, put on the dishwasher, maybe also the washing machine and the tumbler dryer, and similar things like that. All that combined energy use creates daily peak demand. Network peak demand, that is peak demand across the whole network, generally occurs only a few times a year, usually when we experience extreme temperatures. It is then when a much higher number of people use high energy appliances, such as electric heaters in cold weather and air conditioners when it's hot. Um, more likely the former than the latter here in Scotland, I might add. And we use those high energy appliances at the same time as other everyday appliances, such as those mentioned earlier, the lights, TV, computers, dishwashers, etc. In order to cater for these occasional network peak demands, and even though they only happen infrequently, millions of pounds are spent on extra electricity infrastructure. Now, network peak demand periods are forecast to grow even higher, driven by a growing population and a growing number of appliances in use. And therefore, even more will need to be spent on electricity infrastructure. The problem here is energy storage. When conventional power stations are generating electricity, when the wind is blowing and the wind turbines are turning, and when the sun is shining onto solar panels, there are few options for storing the electricity that they generate, and even fewer options available on a large commercial scale. Generally speaking, such energy needs to be used within a very short period after being generated. Therefore, if the wind is blowing or the sun is shining during times of low energy demand, such as out with the peak times of 5 to 8pm, or on days when the temperature is neither extremely high or low, then if we allowed those turbines to turn and we switched on those solar panels, 
it would just mean that a lot of the electricity generated would be going to waste. So Lynette, that's presumably where pumped storage schemes fit in. Exactly. So I'm storage schemes need to use energy generated by other sources to pump the water uphill to refill their reservoirs. However, they do this during off-peak periods of low energy demand. When we have an abundance of cheap or even excess electricity, electricity that would otherwise just go to waste. It is then during hours of high or peak demand that the stored water is released through the turbines to generate power. Therefore, although the losses of the pumping process make the plant a net consumer of energy overall, the system increases revenue by selling more electricity during periods of peak demand when electricity prices are highest. The system is economical because it allows conventional power stations, which have been designed to provide an ongoing base level of electricity, to continue operating, and to do so at their usual peak efficiency, while reducing the need for peaking power stations, which operate in the same way but have been designed for use flexibly during peak periods rather than for maximum energy efficiency. Even these peaking power stations which have been designed with flexibility in mind are not nearly as flexible as pumped storage hydro schemes however. Whilst the peaking power stations are fine for scheduled peak periods, they are much less able than pumped storage schemes to respond quickly to sudden unscheduled change in energy demand. Indeed, pumped storage schemes can respond to energy demand changes within seconds. Another advantage of pumped storage schemes is energy security. Faced with an unplanned shutdown of a large power station during peak periods, we may otherwise be facing blackouts, but for the quick reactions and effective filling of energy gaps made possible by energy storage. Given that pumped storage hydro is currently the only electricity storage technology which can operate on a commercial scale, the benefits of pump storage hydro are all too clear. Okay, so how much pump storage is in the rest of the UK? There are currently four pump storage schemes in the UK, with a total capacity of almost 3 gigawatts and a storage volume of 27.6 gigawatt hours, enough to power the equivalent of more than 1.8 million homes. However, this is a relatively small amount in comparison to other countries such as Germany which has 6 gigawatts compared to R3, France which has 4.5 and, and Austria which has 8. So how much more storage capacity do we need? Well, this will depend on various factors such as increases in energy demand, the capacity of renewables installed, and the extent of upgrades which are carried out to the transmission network. However, it is thought that increased storage will be required, and it has been estimated that installing energy storage capacity of around 7 gigawatts by 2030 would likely alleviate the constraints which have been identified, and that installing half of that, 3.5 gigawatts, would alleviate around 75% of those constraints. Can you give me some examples already in Scotland? There are currently two pump storage schemes in Scotland, Kruikin Power Station and Foyers. 
Kurken Power Station really is one of the country's most amazing engineering achievements. A power station lying deep within the mountain of Ben Kurken and buried one kilometre below the ground. It was constructed between 1959 and 1965, officially opened by the Queen on 15th October 1965. And it was the first reversible pump storage hydro system to be built in the whole world. Roger and I went to see it and it really is situated amongst some of Scotland's most beautiful scenery. It's right on the shores of Loch Awe, which are just breathtaking. They run a guided tour and this takes you on a journey deep inside the mountain, with the power station lying at the heart of the mountain, one kilometre inside. Once inside the mountain, you are taken up the visitor's walkway, past the subtropical plants which grow well in the warm, humid conditions inside the mountain and then onto the visitor's viewing gallery. Once there, you can see the generating hall that houses the four generators that are used to produce the electricity from water. Ben Kruken was fascinating. It's, it's interesting learning about the sort of diverse ways you can generate energy. And, and I like that, that Ben Kruken, um, you know, use the excess from the national grid and, and I love how they can generate electricity almost instantaneously. The other hydroelectric scheme in Scotland, Foyers, is situated on the shores of Loch Ness, the home of the famous Loch Ness Monster, or Nessie as the locals call her. The scheme was originally built by the British Aluminium Company in 1896 to power an aluminium smelter and was the first large-scale commercial hydroelectric scheme in the UK. The scheme was in continuous operation until the aluminium smelter it served closed in 1971. It was then redeveloped to focus on pumped storage in 1969. It was then in 1974 that the Foyers combined conventional hydro and pumped storage scheme began operating. The pipes which connect the water to the power station reduce in size from just over 7 metres in diameter to 3 metres diameter at the point where they reach the turbine inlet valves. This narrowing of the pipes has the effect of increasing the pressure of the water flowing through them, thus increasing the amount of electricity generated. Incredibly, foyers can begin generating electricity from a standing start in under 2 minutes, and if conditions demand, the machines can also be spun in the air, acting as a spinning reserve, and in this way, electricity can be supplied within 30 seconds. So, next question, what new pumped storage is planned? Two large-scale new pumped storage schemes are being planned for the Great Glen area of the Central Highlands. These are being planned by the Power Generation Distribution and Supply Company, known as Scottish and Southern Energy known for short as SSE. The first scheme is Corrie Glass, northwest of Loch Lochie. It has already been given planning permission and would be the biggest new build pump storage hydro scheme since Kurken Power Station was built in the early 1960s. At current prices, the cost of the Corrie Glass build has been estimated at £800 million and would sustain up to 400 jobs during peak construction periods. With its huge 600 megawatt generating capacity, this scheme would be by far the most powerful of its kind in Scotland, 
and whilst generating, it would have the potential to provide up to 10% of Scotland's estimated peak electricity demand. The second proposed scheme is Balmacan, which is near Invermorston. Together, the two schemes would have a combined generation capacity of some 900 megawatts and would be able to provide more than 1000 gigawatt hours of electricity annually to help meet peak energy demands. SSE is also to submit to Scottish ministers an application for consent to develop a 60 megawatt pump storage scheme at its existing Sloy hydroelectric power station at Loch Lomond allowing it to produce an additional 100 gigawatt hours of electricity in a typical year. In total, these three new schemes would increase Scotland's pump storage capacity by a little over 100%. There are also plans in the pipeline to expand Cruachan, and whilst the development of this new scheme is at an early stage, there is an opportunity to develop up to 600 megawatts of additional capacity taking the scheme up to 1,040 megawatts from its current 440 megawatts. So next question, just building on that, if pumped storage hydro is so beneficial, why aren't we building even more? That's a very good question indeed. Well, one reason is that suitable sites for any further pump storage schemes are in scarce supply. And those which are possibilities are likely to attract a lot of opposition from environmental groups. Proposals have been mooted for seawater pump storage hydro and underground pump storage schemes, but the costs of these could prove to be prohibitive. Another reason is that pump storage schemes are subject to significant capital costs due to the requirement for specialist underground construction and dam works the requirement for site-specific electrical and mechanical components and the long construction periods involved. Indeed, the lead-in times for a pump storage project from development to operation can be as much as 10 years. Another major reason is that, perhaps somewhat surprisingly, pump storage hydro schemes do not qualify for the government financial subsidies we discussed in our podcast one. To give a quick recap on these subsidies, in many parts of the world, including here in the UK, renewable energy is given government financial support, which serves to level the playing field for renewables and more conventional technologies, counterbalancing the fact that renewable technologies are newer, more innovative and more expensive to build. In the UK, this support currently takes the form of the Renewables Obligation, also known as the RO and for smaller projects, the feed-in tariff, also known as FITS. The UK system will soon be changing under what is known as the Electricity Market Reform Process, or EMR, with the new scheme being called a feed-in tariff with a contract for difference, known also as CFDs. Pump storage hydroelectric schemes do not currently qualify for these government financial subsidies, either through the current system or the new replacement CFD system. This therefore raises questions regarding the financial viability of such projects. For example, whilst we mentioned that the proposed 600 megawatt Cory Glass scheme has been given planning permission, the final investment decision on the project has not yet been made, and will likely not be made until next year at the earliest. 
The company building the project said that financial sign-off would first require a number of major obstacles to be overcome, including changes in the existing transmission charging regime for pump storage and a satisfactory and supportive long-term public policy and regulatory framework. So what will happen next? Well, the organisation Scottish Renewables has called upon the UK and Scottish governments to establish a working group with the industry and other key stakeholders to consider how pump storage can be most effectively supported to encourage investment in the technology and realise the benefit it brings. So in the meantime, it's Watch This Space. And that's the end of the second Renewable Energy podcast. Thanks again to Roger for his help, to the BBC News website and Scottish Renewables for their information, and to you for listening. Thank you and see you next time. You've been listening to the Renewable Energy Podcast, the home of news and knowledge about all things renewable. Don't forget to stay tuned for further episodes and to head over to our website www.renewableenergypodcast.com for the show notes. And we'd love you to leave your comments and suggestions in an iTunes review. Remember that if you're kind enough to give us five stars, we'll read out your review in future episodes. That's all for today though, so bye for now and see you next time.